Hi, I'm Caroline. And I'm Megan. And this is The Songwriter Diaries. A podcast by songwriters for songwriters. Oh, hello. Oh, hi. (laughs) (laughs) On today's episode of the podcast, we have the incredible Daniel Kim Etheridge or Etheridge? Etheridge. Etheridge. Oh my gosh, I shouldn't second guess myself. Slash, I should have asked you during the countdown when we had time. <laughs> and it's now okay. we're here. Hey, we're it's just okay. a very transparent podcast here. So <laughs> so true. So can you just start by telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and your experience in the music industry? Um, yeah. Um, I, I moved to Nashville 10 years ago this August. I, uh, I moved to Nashville to go to Belmont University. I spent my childhood in Long Beach, California, right below Los Angeles. And uh, we moved to Austin when I was in junior high. And I, I, my parents aren't musical, but my mom forced me to learn piano at a young age, mm, as most mom. Korean mothers do. <laughs> and so... I uh, I started playing piano when I was really young, and then um, in third grade, I believe, in the in Long Beach Unified School District, where I went to school, they introduced orchestra as an after-school oh, wow. program. So my mom was like, "You can quit the piano if you learn how to play a string instrument." And Ooh. so um, I had seen Yo-Yo Ma play the cello on Sesame Street, oh. and I was like. <laughs> I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I remember that. I, Yo-Yo Ma was that's with amazing. Elmo, and he was playing the cello. And I was like, that's an orchestra. I'll do that. That's so cute. And, uh, so uh, I started playing the cello, and then I, I did that all through high school. And then we moved to Texas. And uh, once we got to Texas, I had started playing guitar, admittedly, um, because Guitar Hero had become really popular. But also, uh, Camp Rock had come out. Yes. And... <laughs> You know, so you wanted to be Yo-Yo Ma and Joe Jonas. I, <laughs> I, be, I wanted I wanted to be Nick Jonas. Okay, okay, you know, valid. Surprise, valid. Surprise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because you know, so the big thing there with, with the guitar is I'd I'd always loved like classic rock. My my dad was my dad's a little older. My dad was born in the fifties, and so I in our house I grew up with a lot of the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the Rolling Stones, <gasps> and then all of Motown. You just broke um, my heart. I love the Beach Boys because yes. of my dad. So yes, you know, well, yep. and also like I grew up in Southern California, so like we listened to the Beach Boys going yep. to Huntington Beach and Seal Beach, and like it yes. was just you know That's my childhood. Dream. And um, so I always loved the guitar. And then in middle school, we moved to Texas. Guitar Hero gets super popular, and my dad's like, you know, instead of melting your brain playing this damn video game. <laughs> <laughs> why, don't you learn, why don't you learn how to play the actual guitar and then at the same time i just remember again you have to keep in mind i'm like a 12 year old boy and i'm like i see camp rock and i'm like girls love the jonas brothers the ding, jonas ding. brothers play the guitar therefore if i play the guitar yeah yeah um and so I like played in garage bands and high school bands all through all through high school, and I did that. And then uh, I came to Belmont, and when I first moved to Nashville, I I came to Belmont as a uh, commercial voice major, so I was going to school to be in the school of music and as a voice major. And I was also taking 
guitar classes because I really, I really just wanted to be Dan Huff when I moved to Nashville. I just wanted to be like the guitar guy. Mm-hmm. And um, I had started playing like cover gigs and stuff downtown and playing guitar for other people. And I was sitting in class with my guitar professor one day and I was like, I kind of hate this. And he was like, what do you mean? And he's like, and I was like, I just, I don't, I don't want to be playing other people's songs all the time. Mm-hmm. And he had said to be, he, basically to tell me like, shut up. He was like, well then just write better songs. And <laughs> I he called you, you know, out. At this, at, the, at this point, I'm, you know, I'm like 17, 18 years old. Yeah. Um, and I remember when he said it, though, I was kind of like, that's a good idea. Like, just write, just write better songs. And so yeah. um, I'd started, you know, co-writing with my classmates and, and kids that I was going to Belmont with. And it's funny now, looking back, like, I, I, I know for sure one of my first co-writers, but I kind of think my first co-write was Emily Landis who, you know, has now had her first number one and has done all this. And I'm like, I was just like learning how to write songs with other people. And, and it's funny now to look back on like the people that were so formative in my life because we were all students just trying to figure it out. Like we've gone on and and started our careers and been able to do this professionally. And so I go to Belmont um, and I know it's long, but it's, it's 10 years. Um, (laughs) We love it. Yeah, we love it. I go to Belmont. I go to Belmont and about a year and a half in, or after my first year, I get into the Bluegrass Ensemble at Belmont. Love. Um, and the director of the Bluegrass Ensemble was Tammy Rogers King, who's the fiddle player in the Steel Drivers. Um, and so literally my second, my second year in the group, my first, my second year in the group is when she won her Grammy. So I was like, yeah, I can never question anything my professor tells me. Ever. <laughs> <laughs> ever. Oh my yeah. God. So um, my second year in the group is when Brenna Wheeler joined the group. And Brenna is important because Brenna is the fiddle player in the band I tour in and then in called Troubadour Glue. And um, Tammy Rogers, our professor is also now our producer. Um, and so you know, I I finished school. I went all four years. I got my degree. I dropped out of the School of Music. I ended up getting a, a degree at uh, the Curb College at Belmont, which is funny because I am now signed as a staff writer at Curb Publishing, which is, like, mind-boggling <laughs> oh to me. Oh, my gosh. Oh, it's um, yeah, but um, I finished at Belmont, and during my time at Belmont, I, I was, like, this close um, – to signing a publishing deal at uh, a, a big publishing company here in Nashville. And then two years later, I was going to sign another publishing company here in town. And then that office went out of business. And it was just all sorts of stuff. And I, for years, I felt like I was, I was this close and it just, I just honestly kept falling short and it was really hard. And I was really frustrated and having a hard time. And then, and so I graduate in, 2017 and then about in 2019 i had texted tammy who i hadn't talked to really since i'd graduated and i was i don't know what i'm doing what do i do and she was like um she was like well you should text brenna and see what she's doing and a little did i know she had had the same conversation with brenna the week before so um we started this band and we well we started writing and doing all this and then 
2020 happened and the world ended and we're like well i guess we don't need to release a record we'll just keep writing and brenna hadn't really co-written before so she was kind of learning the ropes of co-writing and then yeah. uh, brenna's brother eli ended up also joining the band because he was about to graduate from college and he was unemployed and i was like you know you don't have anything better to do come join our band and yeah. um he joined the band and then in 2021 we kept writing and then we started releasing or we started touring with the Steel Drivers because of Tammy. And so we were opening oh. for them. And then we, in 2022, we hit the road more because this is 23, right? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. So 22, <laughs> I started saying it. I was like, am I counting right? Um, <laughs> what year is it? Where am I? <laughs> yeah. So, so 22, we started touring a lot more and doing all sorts of stuff. And, um, you know, we signed at our booking agency, which is Conway, and then we played the Ryman with the Steel Drivers. And, oh, um, so cool. Um, and then just last month, I signed my publishing deal at Curb, and yes. um, True Blue started releasing music, and there, there are lots of things I skipped over in there, but um, it has been a journey, and now we're here. Oh, my gosh. I honestly am so glad that you went through like all 10 years because (laughs) I feel like that truly shows that like, you know, there are those overnight sensations, but it truly, it takes time, perseverance to get to where you want to be and get to where you are. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing all the ups and downs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So many people in Nashville that have like the 10 year limit of like or the five-year limit whatever they decide it's like i'm gonna go here for this Mm -hmm. amount of time and if it doesn't work out then i'm gonna leave Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you made it the 10 year i mean you made it in the five year too with all you that you did but the 10 year you got a deal now you know Yeah. yeah you know i think i think so much of it was just that i i didn't want to quit and you know how a lot of times people are really passionate and they're like, I don't want to quit because I love this. Mm-hmm. To be honest, I think a lot of it was, I don't, I don't want to quit because a bunch of you told me I couldn't do it. Yeah. And for that reason, I'm going to do it because I know I can and you don't get to define where this goes for me. And I had a lot yeah. of people say no. And I regularly still have plenty of people say no. And that's just kind of what it is. And I think as I've gotten older, I've become more comfortable with who I am as a, as a person and as an artist and as, a, and as a writer. And I'm like, if you don't like it, that's okay. But there are people that do. And so mm-hmm. you just kind of keep skipping down your own path. Yeah. <laughs> la, 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 la. Yeah. <laughs> um, so kind of speaking about your pub deal, you recently signed do you have any advice for those who may be wanting to sign their own deals in the future? Um, how did you get there? Um, well, that's a great question. Um, time. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, and for a lot of people, you know, it doesn't take 10 years. It, it takes, they, I have plenty of friends that came to town and, all of a sudden, in three weeks, they had all this buzz, and then seven weeks later, they're signed, and I'm like, "Holy shit!" And it's and it's awesome. Like, and for some yeah. people, they hit town like a freaking meteor, and it just works, you know. And then for someone like me that doesn't have that splash factor, it takes ten years, and it and it takes all kinds in what we do, you know. For me personally, 
I think a lot of it was, you know, continuing to show up for work and do your best every day. And then also, you know, there's, in what we do, I think there's a lot of serendipity and luck that goes along with it. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I had worked with Sarah Schumacher um, when she was working somewhere else at a publishing company. And then she started working at Curb and I'd been friends with Sarah the whole time. So I started writing with some people at Curb and then, I was very fortunate that Sarah had put me in the room with my band and Rose Falcon and Alex Klein. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, Rose, I don't know. I don't know exactly how the conversations went, but Rose, I guess had said to Sarah, basically, Hey, Daniel doesn't suck. And then, you know, (laughs) we had a couple more rights. And then is my, my understanding is that Rose then went to Rodney Rodney Atkins is her husband and she went to Rodney and she was like hey this kid kind of maybe doesn't suck and then (laughs) one day Sarah Sarah texted me she's like hey do you want to write with Rodney and I was like yes (laughs) yes Um, and then um yeah you know I (laughs) I um I wrote with Rodney a few times and then the reason I have my curb deal which I didn't mention earlier because my brain is melting is um (laughs) Rodney Rodney signed me. I'm I'm in a joint venture at Curb with Rodney Atkins and Rose and Curb. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with showing up for work and doing your best because I, I went in that first white right with Rose and she was like, I believe in this thing and then she went and said something to Rodney and then now we're here. So what does your day to day songwriting process look like? Um It involves a lot of me talking to myself and, (laughs) you know, trying to be observant. Uh, A while back, Brenna and Eli and the band were good friends with their parents, too, because they're all from Nashville. And Hmm. a while back, Eric, their dad, said to me that he was like, you know, he's like, it's my understanding that great songwriters are probably just really good observers of the world around them. And I was like, wow, that's, that's a grown ass thought. Like that's, yeah. That, is, yeah. that is brilliant. And <laughs> I, I think about that almost every day when I'm sitting down to, to be a songwriter, you know, it's, I'm, I'm married. I have a wife, we have cats, like the way that I carry myself every day in my life affects people around me. And so observing how that works and seeing how my relationships work and matter to other people. And just, uh, I think, I think this, this question can be like such a big thing, which is why I'm kind of like swimming around it. But um, my favorite aspects of songwriting are the, it's the fact that in songs you can zoom in to a very small moment in day-to-day life and extrapolate three minutes of art from it. And I think Stapleton has these moments, like in that song Scarecrow in the Garden, that are just these stories. That song's, you know, it's a story about a guy that's a farmer that he inherited this land that he kind of didn't want, and now it's not working. He's like, what do I do? And yesterday by the Beatles, you know, Paul McCartney sitting there. I remember hearing yesterday when I was 15, and I'd gone through my first breakup. Oh. I remember hearing yesterday for the first, for really for the first time when I was 15 and like really resonating, 
with that song. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wow, the song was written like 50 years ago and it still translates. And so yeah. it, there's not, I don't have like a hard and fast like regiment for how I write songs. I try to like, I try to exist in the world and allow creativity to hit me too. But also the part that is something that can be reps is like sit down and, and try to discuss things as succinctly as possible mm. um, and allow them to be beautiful as they are. Cause I think everyday life is, I think, I think everyday life is heartbreaking. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's a struggle and it's, you know, people working every day to feed their families and wishing they could do something else or being happy or whatever. And I think everyone's story and existence matters. And so it's just trying to see all of it and then be the one that happens to have the pen that gets to write the story. So I don't know if I answered that well, but those are my thoughts. Wow. No. Beautifully. Yeah. That was so poetic. No wonder. <laughs> you just start sobbing. We're like, you're right. Uh, oh, my um, God. Kind of going off of that, just rolling right into the next one. What do you think is the most important element of a song? Um, I think I'm going to answer this, and then it's also going to explain why it took me so long to get a pub deal. Um, I <laughs> think that the most important element of a song isn't necessarily the hookiness or the catchiness of it, but mm. the honesty and the intent behind it. Um, I think for the people in the back, you know, it's just someone, someone said to me a long time ago when I was a a younger songwriter trying to figure out where I fit in the music industry. They were like, look, you're not going to out Craig Wiseman, Craig Wiseman, dude, he already exists and he's, can I swear on here? Is that allowed? Yeah. Fuck yeah, Craig, you can. He's the fucking man. Like Ashley Gorley, Craig, you know, Rodney Clawson, like these guys are the mm-hmm. best at what they do. You can you can emulate it and you can do that thing if you want to, but you're never gonna outdo them at what they do. And so you have to understand what you do and go for it. And to me, the most important thing about songwriting and creating art is how hard you're willing to chase the truth behind it. Cause not every song that I write or we write is a nonfiction piece, but every piece of fiction has a thread of truth within it. And that's why it connects to people. And you have to be willing to be vulnerable with yourself and your co-writers and the storyline. And you have to be willing to go there. And so that's what I think is the most important thing about songwriting. I think you should just take over this podcast, honestly. No, yeah. no, because I would just talk like about stupid no, that's shit. The point. You know? I love it. I love it. I'm just, I'm sitting here and I'm waiting for you to keep going. And then I'm like, oh no, right. We're hosting it. Got it. Got it. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, we're in a master class right now. No, I no. love it. Far, far from it. No, this is great. <laughs> um, So you've toured a lot with your band and opening for the Steel Drivers. I was curious if you have a favorite venue or city that you've ever played in. Um, favorite venue is the Ryman, hands down, billion times mm-hmm. over. 
till I <laughs> fucking die. It's the run. Yep. Yep. It's a good um, one. Favorite city? Uh, favorite city is Austin for me because mm. that's where we uh-huh. moved, you know, when we left California. And I just remember being a teenager and like sneaking into clubs to see shows and yeah. stuff. And, you know, as I get older and I'm, I go deeper into my career, you know, we get to play these like bigger and better stages in Austin. And there were these, I mean, forget about like bands, like there were venues in Austin that I idolized, you know, like. Mm-hmm. Like, the Ryman in my life is, is the top venue ever. But mm-hmm. for me, like, the 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 pinnacle moment for me would probably be playing Austin City Limits, the TV show. Wow. And mm-hmm. so it's like, I, I have those goals. I think about them all the time. I have them written down. And so, yeah, venue-wise, the Ryman City, Austin, because I I think there are so many ways and so many venues in Austin that I haven't played yet that I know would really make like my teenage self really proud. And that, yeah. that is what I'm chasing with everything that I do. And so, yeah, Austin. Love that. Love it. Um, so I just saw Ed Sheeran on Saturday and he played a Ryman show like the night yes. before or something. Mm-hmm. And he was saying that the Ryman is, is his favorite venue in the U S Mm-hmm. So how's that going for it too? Ed's stamp yeah. of approval. <laughs> it, I'm, I'm telling you, there's, when we played it last year, and I've, I've told this to people before, but, you know, we, we, we've played a bunch of shows. I've played a bunch of shows in my life. You know, like, I was on American Idol. Like, I've, I've had a lot of eyeballs on me before. And, like, it's, mm-hmm. like, that part isn't scary to me. But when we start our set, uh, we start with a song called Love Me. And it's an acapella cold open. Like you're just fucking going, right? And I was so scared when we started the set that I couldn't look up. So I'm like, I I have my hat on. I always have my Dodger hat on everywhere I go. And I'm I'm like looking down and kind of looking at the brim of my hat, right? Mm -hmm. And as we settle into the first verse, I started looking up. And I could see the stained glass windows and the sun mm. coming through them. And I just, I wanted to cry. Like, I just couldn't believe we were up there. And so, yes, Ed, Ed is correct. It's just, there's nothing <laughs> mm-hmm. like it. Wow. Yeah. Wait, so side note, you're on American Idol? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> you just dropped that so casually. <laughs> yeah, that was so much. Well, you know, it was, it was a long time ago. Um, Sorry, I'm also like sitting in front of a big monitor, and I'm like, "Oh, the lighting is decent, like this." And my monitor. Yeah, your lighting looks great. Yeah. Yes, I I try. Um, (laughs) it's really just I leave Gmail open because it's super bright and white, and it's like, (laughs) and it doesn't look like I have a ring light on my face, and like it's just way more effective. Yeah. Um. So, seventeen, I graduate college. Twenty eighteen, I think. Um. It was the first season that American Idol came back. Um, wow. I, um, I got recruited by, like, the producers that do the show. And so I, like, went and I sang for somebody at the Hutton Hotel. And they're like, you're great. You're going to move on to the, to the filmed um, auditions. And then I auditioned. And get this. I, this is terrible. I was the last person to audition on my, on my day. So, so you was, waited um, all day. I waited all fucking day. 
Yeah. Um, uh, you know, cause, so you get there at like eight in the morning, right? No, Jesus. I don't. I don't think I, I'm. I'm not exaggerating. There are probably ways to check this. I probably didn't sing until like nine thirty p.m. And yes, like I was. I was the last person. And That's so a long um, fucking day. I sat there all day, and I went in and I sang a Chris Stapleton cover, and then um, oh, this is fine. So I sing my Stapleton cover, and then you know they cut me off, and uh, I think it was Katy Perry. It was like it says you're a songwriter, and I was like, oh god, oh god, yes. And they're like, well, sing us a song that you wrote, and um, I and you like talk through what you're going to do for your audition. I really didn't think this was going to happen mm. because before you go on the show y'all work in music you know this you have to clear things like as far as copyright is concerned i hadn't cleared anything and they knew that so then i was like well i can't sing anything i've co-written because they might not let me through because they won't be able to air it and i was like oh god what do i do and so i had one song that i was proud of that i had written 100 percent and it was called one day they'll know my songs and it's on spotify and you can go look it up but um it was about my little sister and I'm, um, I'm 11 years older than my sister. And at the time, like a few months before that, um, my sister had gotten bullied at school a little bit because she kept telling all the kids at school that I was famous. And I, I clearly was still not, but at the time I was like super not. And, um, so I, I had written a song for my sister about that. Right. Like mm-hmm. I, I promise you one day they'll know my songs. So in the moment, the only song I could think of was that song. And so I played it, and it got me my golden ticket, and that song aired on national television. And it was awesome. <laughs> I was like, it did it. The song did the thing. Like, my little That's bluebird incredible. song that would never be cut by anybody went on TV, and it was sick. And so, yeah, that's my American Idol story. Wait, so how long, How far did you make it? I went. I went to Hollywood, and I, like, did a couple rounds at Hollywood and then they sent me home. And um, I just remember for my like exit and I was like, at the time, I guess I was like 22 and I was one of the oldest people on the season. Cause everyone auditioning was like 15 and 16. So I was like, oh my God. To them. but wow. I just remember like I had become friends with all the crew and the producers. Cause I was like, Oh yeah, this is all bullshit. This is hilarious. Right? Mm-hmm. And um, so they're like, well, we want to do your like exit interview, like your filmed interview. And so they like put the camera on me and they're like, can you tell us how sad you are? I was like, dude, I'm fucking stoked. I get to go home. I get to sleep in my own bed. I don't have to sign that record deal. Like, you know, because I didn't make it to live TV. Like they couldn't option me into anything. Not that I was like commercial enough for them to ever option me, but I was just like, this is awesome. Um, Coolest moment from Idol. They never heard this. I did for my like solo song at Hollywood. I did like, Imagine I want to dance with somebody, but like in the style of Jason Isbell, like that kind of like sad, slow. Love it. And Love um, so I do it. Yeah, I, I think it, it just like clearly was not commercial enough for what they wanted, which is fine. Mm. But afterwards, I get off stage and you're like on camera and you're like, how'd you feel? Blah, 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 blah. And I was the last person to go in my row for that. And so. Wait, this isn't fair. I'm Why are you camera, always last? I don't know. <laughs> 
I think honestly, I think it was they like they were treating me like I was some music industry veterans. Like he knows what he's doing. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing, dude. Like I'm, I'm gonna go back to Nashville. <laughs> I'm gonna go back to Nashville and like work at the freaking Green Hills Mall. Back to my part time job. I don't know what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, but as I'm on camera, the judges are like going for their lunch break, and Lionel Richie. This is on tape somewhere. Like honest, I I want it. I just don't know how to get it. But uh, Lionel Richie like pops his head like through the curtain. And he's like, hey, by the way, young man, I was friends with Whitney Houston. And she would have loved that. And just walks away. <laughs> Literally like mic drop. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's it's making me tear up now. I just remember like, so he like walks away and it was like the office. I just turned back and I look at the camera and I'm just crying. <laughs> <laughs> Cause he just like he like kind of held my shoulders and said it and just like kept going. I was like, <laughs> "Why am I okay. crying right now?" <laughs> if anyone from American Idol is listening to this podcast, get us give us t- this video. <laughs> you can die happy now. Like that yeah. is the ultimate compliment. Right. So that was wow. Uh, yeah, that was that was my American Idol experience and. I have nothing against the show. I think I think the whole production of the show is awesome. And I mean, I, I remember calling in and voting for Kelly Clarkson during season one. I was like six years old. So like, mm-hmm. I'm I'm all about American Idol. I'm I'm a huge fan of the whole whole deal. That's iconic. Wow. Honestly, you had the best experience. I would take that compliment over winning American Idol any day. Oh, absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So if you could put a bill together. With you and three other artists, dead or alive, who oh. would you choose? The Eagles. Love that. That was not what I was expecting, but I also Me either. Yeah. The Eagles with with all the original members. Also, Vince Gill can be up there because he's fucking Vince Gill. Mm-hmm. Let's get that straight. Okay, the Eagles, the Beatles. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. And John Mayer. You're the John second Mayer. person to say John Mayer. <laughs> Dude, okay, I'm going to be honest. I wanted to be cool and not say John Mayer. <laughs> But I have I have this pet peeve. For some reason in the past few years, all these like dudes under the age of like thirty now wanna act like we didn't start getting obsessed with the guitar because of John Mayer. Mm-hmm. But, <laughs> but we fucking it. did. Yes. Y- you know, like I I don't play the electric guitar a lot in my band because we do like Americana type stuff, so I'm normally mm-hmm. playing acoustic. But Man, I really, like, grew to love the guitar and became obsessed with the guitar because of him. And Clapton and Stevie Ray Vaughan and Jimi Hendrix and all the guys. Because, you know, you, like, find your dude and then you find his source material and that's what you're supposed to do. But, like, holy shit, I know every freaking note of Continuum and Battle Studies and Born and Raised and Paradise Valley. Dude, yes. Great album. And I just, for some reason, in the past few years, everyone's like too proud to say John Mayer. But, but 
That's John fucking man. He's John. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I'm shocked you didn't say the Jonas Brothers. Honestly, a little disappointed. Oh. No, I've I've matured past that phase. <laughs> Honestly, no. their mus- new music is not bad. Actually, the new album. To be totally honest, just for the scale of musicianship, what I would prefer is I can't remember if this is part of it, but if if I'm part of the lineup, just yeah. take mm-hmm. me out of the lineup and just <laughs> put me in like put I'll I'll be in John's band or part of the backing band for one of the other ones and the Jonas Brothers can also be on the bill and I'm excited. I don't need to be on that motherfucker. Let me just be part of it, but I don't need to be part of it like that. You're also yeah. not the only one that has said that. No. Yeah, dude. No. Our same guest that is obsessed with John Mayer also said the same thing. He's he like, take like, me take out. Me I want another it, one. <laughs> I just want to watch. Yeah. That's fine. I accept. Like, put, let the put legends the do the legend thing. <laughs> yes. mm-hmm. Well, we've come to the final question. This has been <laughs> amazing. So fun. So fun getting to know you, getting to know your story, talking about John Mayer and the Jonas Brothers. Yes. <laughs> Why do you write songs? I think it ties into what we were talking about earlier of what I think is the most important thing about songs. Um, I write songs because I love stories and I love storytelling. I think, I think people are put on this earth for specific reasons and with specific gifts. You know, people are put on earth to be doctors and help people and to be elementary school teachers, and teach the youth and be lawyers and, plumbers and all sorts of things and i think songwriters are honest to god i think songwriters are put on earth to help the rest of the world understand how to navigate their own feelings because i think a lot of people that don't have a creative tilt to them i think they obviously they're human they feel the full human experience and they feel happiness and and joy and sadness and frustration And I think a lot of times people don't understand how to express it or they're not comfortable enough with their own emotions to express it, which is why people have wedding songs that they dedicate to one another or they have our song or they have their breakup song or whatever, because songwriters are put on earth to capture those emotions and put them in like a three minute box and be like, here you go, live with this bitch for the rest of your life. (laughs) And not everyone gets to do that and not everyone gets to do it at a high level as a professional and um, for some reason God or the universe decided that they were going to give this Korean Mexican kid from Long Beach the gift of storytelling through song and I want to do my best every day to honor that gift. So the song that you're sharing with us or sharing with the audience um, now that we're at the end of the episode is the way you break my heart. Can you give us a little yes. bit of background on that? Yeah. So, ironically, we spent the whole uh, podcast talking about True or Blue, which is the band that I'm in, that I tour with. And it's my full time gig. But uh, years ago, I teamed up with my friend Tristan Bushman and Gatlin. And we were all doing solo projects at the time. And we we're like, hey, we should just do a record. And um we were just kind of pitching songs to each other and 
I had written this song with Tristan and our friend Lauren McLean, who signed over at Liz Rose. And um, we wrote it and we put it out in the world under the band name Sadie Hawkins. And the reason that honestly I sent this in instead of a True Lord Blue thing is I'm, I don't really ever get to talk about Sadie Hawkins. And I'm really proud of this song. And the other day um, it, it passed 3 million streams and it, I mean, it never had any marketing or promotion or anything. Oh it literally just, we put it out into the world. And for some reason, like Spotify's algorithm liked it and put it on people's like daily mix and also like, like radio, like Spotify radio and all this stuff. And wow. it just keeps trucking along. And as a songwriter, I'm I'm really proud to, be a part of it and it's the first song i've ever been a part of to have that much play and so i sent it in that's awesome that's amazing well this is the way you break my heart by daniel kim etheridge <laughs> 